Hey, it's Jordan. I am here with Senator Mike Gravel. Uh, you were a senator uh, right in the late 60s all the way to the beginning of the 1980s, uh, where a lot of the change for America happened, I would say, for, for the worse. Uh, and then uh, you ran for president in 2008 and again now in 2020. Uh, I wanted to start, uh, I think, uh, a big part of what you talk about so passionately is the military industrial complex. So uh, this morning, actually, we saw the uh, embassy protectors in Washington, D.C. arrested, uh, the remaining uh, embassy protectors at the Venezuelan embassy. Uh, the Trump administration has obviously been trying to get uh, those people out of the embassy in D.C., and obviously they've been trying to topple uh, President Maduro's administration. So I wanted to ask you, when, when you see what's going on, now they have evicted uh, the, protect, the embassy protectors in D.C., and new reports show our crippling sanctions might have even killed 40,000 people in Venezuela. Uh, what are your thoughts on the, on the escalation? I think it's horrible. <clears throat> we, should, we should not be uh, sanctioning uh, Venezuela. They haven't attacked us in any way. We disagree with their government, but who the hell are we to turn around and go around the world and telling people that they got to get rid of their government? Yeah, if uh, Chavez was the one that uh, got, uh, got elected, uh, maybe uh, uh, tyrannically, but then again, that's, that's no different than the phony election that took place in Georgia where uh, Tracy Abrams uh, was, was denied the... Uh, the benefits, well, of, of having the full uh, constituency vote. They had they had voter suppression. Obviously, you can see how wrong it was. So with respect to Venezuela, uh, we have no right to sanction them. Sanctions are is a form of war, uh, and it does kill people. And we're talking about uh, over 40,000 kids that are going to be denied medicines because of our sanctions. So uh, I think it's basically, you know, let it, let them uh, let us stop the sanctions. If anything, the trade and help them because it's a major source of oil for us from uh, from Venezuela. Uh, so I can't think of anything that's more foolhardy as a foreign policy than our going into other countries like Venezuela and saying, "Oh, we don't like your government. You know, you're a socialist government." Well, here. We, we went to war in Vietnam uh, over communism, quote, and uh, killed about 3 million people, 58,000 American uh, soldiers. Uh, and today, Vietnam is, is the most favored trade, trading company. They're still country. They're still a communist country, but we can trade with them. So this whole attitude that we've got to oppose socialist countries, if the people want that, that's their business. We have no business getting involved with them. It's a, it's American imperialism uh, fighting continuous wars. And this is not the country that I want to be part of and support. And I find it kind of hypocritical because in one breath, you're starting to see people from the, Demo <clears throat> the Democratic Party come out and, you know, rightly say, well, hold the phone here on Iran uh, and let, let's see some intelligence but on the other end, they're cheerleading for us to topple the democratically elected government in Venezuela. So it seems on Iran, at least there's somewhat caution 
But on Venezuela, the Democrats are claiming this guy Guaido, you know, is the president of Venezuela. That would be like Nancy Pelosi declaring president. She, right. She's the president. You're, you're quite it's a good comparison. Uh, and, and here again, there is a great deal of political hypocrisy, always is, that we, we favor some tyrants and we oppose, oppose other tyrants. It's a capricious approach. And for us as a, uh, as a country, of supposedly of laws, for us to cook the books on intelligence and invade Iraq is just preposterous. It's a blight on American history. And so we're about ready to do the same thing at the behest of Netanyahu uh, and other crazies uh, to go ahead and invade Iran. Uh, uncooked up intelligence. They're, they're, the, when they say there's a threat to American soldiers, then of course they change that a little bit to there's a threat to American interest. What interest do we have in a Persian Gulf? You know, it, it's their oil in Saudi Arabia, it's their oil in Iraq. What interest do we have? We're producing enough oil, unfortunately, uh, in the United States, which of course is polluting. Uh, and not addressing the environmental questions which are so oppressive today. And, I, and I'd like to ask you, because uh, in one, it's kind of a smokescreen, but you hear the Trump administration and John Bolton talking about humanitarian aid in oh. Venezuela, which is kind of a joke. It's like Dick Cheney going around selling. That would be the equivalent of Dick Cheney, you know, uh, talking love at Woodstock. Uh, so I wanted to ask you, if we're so worried about humanitarian aid, well, we are helping Saudi Arabia commit genocide in Yemen. We're turning a blind eye to, I mean, unprecedented political assassinations in Colombia. Uh, where is the consistency? Is it humanitarian aid or is it Venezuela's oil, Colombia's gold, and so on? It, no, it's so confusion and truly so stupid uh, and, and hypocrisy. Uh, we, 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 we think we're the police, we're the self-appointed policemen of the world. And we got no right to take that position. Uh, we spend more into, on uh, weapons of mass destruction than anybody else in the world. And who's the threat? Who's going to attack the United States? I don't know who would. I think that you'll get the, uh, the, the backdraft of what happened in 9-11 because of what we're doing in their countries. But uh, we're not doing... Most of these uh, people were uh, were Saudis, and we're not doing anything negative. In fact, we're we're selling Saudis as many weapons as they can buy. Uh, it it's really a very tragic situation where the country that is uh, causing the most risk in the world it's us. It's the United States of America, uh, which is instilling fear around the world without justification. And, and I think it impairs our, our morality. And, and of course, we, we have that in the fact that uh, as we exercise our imperialistic policy, we went around torturing people, uh, putting people in jail. Isn't it ironic that today, three of the negotiations, the Taliban negotiators in Afghanistan, three of them spent 12 years in Guantanamo Bay, and now they're sitting across the table from us on negotiating, uh, getting out of uh, Afghanistan. 
we should get the hell out of Afghanistan, get the hell out of uh, Syria, get the hell out of um, uh, Iraq. We have no business being in these countries waging war. It makes no sense from, from an American moral perspective. And, we had, and, they, and the leadership has no right to take our tax dollars and squander that treasure uh, in these countries where nothing is gained. I had a general uh, call me uh, when I was running for president in 08. He said, Mike, what, uh, what, what's worse than soldiers dying in vain? And I said, what is it? He says, more soldiers dying in vain. And so Vietnam War was they died in vain, uh, both the Southeast Asians and Americans, and they died in vain in Iraq, and they died in vain in Afghanistan, and we're still losing them today in vain. There's no reason for this. It, this is stupid imperialistic policy by a country that shouldn't even be thinking of this. And I'd like to ask you, uh, because your generation, a happy birthday, by the way, 89 years young, couple days ago, uh, uh, your generation saw what happened in Vietnam and the madness, which makes me kind of scratch my head sometimes because, frankly, by the data, it's people over 50 that gravitate to candidates like Joe Biden and Hillary Clinton. Um, you know, there are older progressives, obviously, but by numbers, uh, covering the campaign in 2016, it was definitely... Uh, a, a, a clash of two different generations and older people supported uh, Hillary Clinton by and large. Do they forget Vietnam? Because Iraq wasn't that long ago. Why is it that people are, are supporting, you know, let's look at Joe Biden now, not only Iraq, but he's obviously uh, favored a lot of other wars. He He's on board with this Venezuela coup. Uh, w what is it with this? Uh, how do we convince uh, your generation more of them that enough of the war and the bombing and the droning and all this? The problem is that the people can't uh, get their hands on. When, when, when you turn around and get upset over what's going on with uh, both Iran and Venezuela, uh, the election's not going to be until 18 months. And by that time, these uh, threats may have subsided. And, uh, and you've got domestic issues that you're focused on. So th that's the shortcoming of our electoral process, uh, where you, you only vote uh, two, four, and six years. And when you vote, you give your power away uh, to your representatives who then have a monopoly on lawmaking. And law is the central core, core of society, of civilization, uh, it's the, the law that we live under. And so what we need to do is to find a way to get beyond the monopoly that, uh, that representatives have in lawmaking. And what I've come up with oh, after 30 years of effort is a manual uh, that will be published next summer uh, that provides the details of how the people can become lawmakers by amending the Constitution and by enacting a law, the Legislative Procedures Act. Because if people are making laws, it has to be done in a deliberative fashion. You just can't put something in front of them like Brexit, something very complex and, and nuanced, and put it in front of them and they vote their gut, almost 50-50. And so now you have the government saying, oh, we can't interrupt the 
the decision uh, of the people. Well, Tom Oliver had it right, uh, the comedian, and that was that what the parliament should do is recognize that the referendum was flawed, was wrong, and uh, dismiss it and uh, just move on and forget Brexit. But no, they, these politicians get so, so steeped in, in their thinking that they can't show any any kind of judgment uh, to improve the situation. So we'll see what happens with Brexit. But it, the, the approach was totally wrong, and Cameron should, uh, should be uh, charged with criminality for what he did in kicking the can improperly down the road. So my response to the issues that face us as a nation, I don't see them readily solvable. I'll give you an example. Uh, supposing Bernie Sanders, who's my choice, gets elected and appoints Chelsea Gabbard as his vice president. Uh, lo and behold, they have an agenda. Well, I would guess that uh, there'll be at least, even if the Democrats take over the Senate in uh, 2020, there'll still be a, more than 40 that will be there. So any of uh, the agenda items that pass the House will be thwarted and sabotaged in the Senate. So if that's the case, and uh, they want to get their agenda, Bernie and Tulsi want to get their agenda enacted, the way to do it is to go ahead and permit the people to have an election to uh, amend the Constitution, uh, giving them the power to, to have a legislature of the people, and then pass the Legislative Procedures Act so that they exercise their power to make laws in a very deliberative fashion. That's my solution to the to the situation we have today. And to play, uh, I mean, to push back a little bit, we're, we're living in a, I mean, it's, it's an unprecedented, you have the marriage between the corporate oligarchy, the military industrial complex. How would the uh, forces of power and greed in this country allow a constitutional amendment like that? They can't stop it. They're, here, let's look at the Bill of Rights. The Bill of Rights says we have a right to, uh, to uh, go ahead and uh, have a meeting. So what is an election other than the right to assemble? That's what an election is. So if you and I and several other people can raise several hundred thousand dollars or millions of dollars, and we just decide to hold an election outside of government, got nothing to do with government, we hold an election based upon our constitutional rights, and in that election, we present to the people a constitutional amendment and a Legislative Procedure, Procedures Act, the effect of which will be to create a legislature of the people where individual citizens can come in and propose and enact legislation on the issues and policies they think are important. Now, we can do that. We don't need the government. In fact, what the way, the way our country was formed with Article 7 when it said that when nine states of uh, nine conventions in nine states ratified this Philadelphia uh, Constitution, it became the law of those nine states. Well, that's exactly what we're doing. We're following the precedent, uh, and we're saying that when the people enact this constitutional amendment and this law, and that there are more than 50% of the people who voted in the last presidential election, which is the only national elections that we have, so we're using that precedent as a criteria of enactment. And then after that has been done, 
the, the people, you and I and others that are conducting this national election, we uh, announced that this is the law of the land, the way it was announced with uh, under Article 7. So the precedent is set there. Uh, all of uh, the, the major framers all said, even though they didn't trust the people and thought it was a mob, but they said that the people had the right to change their government whenever it suited their interest. But we didn't specifically put those procedures into or acknowledge that into the Constitution, except the preamble where it starts up by saying, we the people do ordain. Right. We, yeah. are the, we are the sovereigns. And so we can just do it. And Madison said that very clearly. You can, people can just do it. And, uh, and so there's no impediment to our doing that. And this is, in my mind, is the solution is to bring the people in. I can tell you that they'll do a bet. Here, it's very simple. We are ruled by a minority. I'm talking about establishing a rule by the majority. And so if you want to continue with the craziness of being ruled by a, minor, a small minority, go for it. But if you really want to make a change, the way to do it is not just electing people. We need to elect good people. But that's not the answer to the problem. We, it's more fundamental. And that's what the, the founders left the people out of the process for a very simple reason. They knew the people wouldn't accept slavery. Right. Perpetuity. That's the reason why the people got screwed out of lawmaking. But we can correct that now. We've got the technology to do it. I, I want to ask you, um, I think there's a crisis of democracy, too. And I'm not talking about, you know, the Russian boogeyman and all that ridiculousness. I mean, you're starting to see states all over this country try to criminalize protesting. We're seeing it with the, the Standing Rock protest that I covered and other states making it a felony to, quote, you know, uh, interfere with critical infrastructure, i.e. pipelines. You're seeing uh, ballot measures that are passed with, by the voter overturned <laughs> by state legislatures. You're seeing... Uh, we just saw, I think, 1.4 million uh, felons get their voting rights restored in Florida. And now the legislature in Florida is putting in a poll tax, basically, to stop those. I mean, one after the other, there's real actual tax against democracy, not to mention the Trump administration and the police. I, I call it an occupying force, uh, basically trying to eliminate journalists. Uh, you know, if you were president, I, I know you're running... Uh, you know, to get on that debate stage and everything else. But uh, what do you have to say? Because how do, what's worth fighting for if, if we're not still a democracy? Well, first off, what you, the recitation of the shortcomings in our country today is overwhelming, as you point out. What I look upon it and say, maybe people are frustrated enough that they'll do something about it and empower themselves. Because what, what seems to be happening is that, uh, that we are diminishing democracy in a very big, big way. So if, if we see that going on and we care, then the people have got to revolt. And, and I'm not talking about a violent revolt. I'm talking about an evolution where the people are brought into the pro process and they'll make all the corrections. So what, you, what you're saying is actually happening. And my hope is that it will cause a reaction where the people will finally say that the answer is with the people, not with elected officials, whether they're good officials or bad officials. We need a fundamental change to, uh, to obviate 
the craziness, and I that's how I term it, the craziness of what's going on in the oppression of democracy and the oppression of people. Because when they suppress the elections, it's because they know that the people that they're suppressing would be voting them out of office. So they have suppression of like, it's illegal, there's no question, it's undemocratic. Uh, and uh, James Madison had a great statement, and that is that the people who fight continu continuous wars uh, in, in effect destroy their democracy. And that's what's going on today. When you look at Mitch McConnell, uh, he's the dark Vader of the, uh, of the Senate. Uh, it, it's appalling. It's appalling. Uh, and, and the whole Republican Party right now lashed up to uh, Trumpism. It's not Republicanism. It's Trumpism that we're facing. Well, fine, we have to face it. But face it, uh, electing people to office is not the answer. We need to have good people. But the answer is to law is the central core of governance. We need the people to be able to make laws. You, you are as qualified as anybody I know in the Congress to vote on public policies. Well, thank you. <laughs> um... it, it, it is. You, you make it a point of being informed. And, that, and that's what a democracy is. We hope to have the leaders informed so they will vote right. But then with the, with the extensiveness of secrecy in government, in the military, in, in the police, it, it, is, it is abominable. There's just too much secrecy. And secrecy is what destroys democracy. Right. And when you look at... Uh... 2020, uh, you, you, you're hearing it's like a it's like deja vu. We're hearing, uh, oh well, Joe Biden is more electable, and Joe Biden has a better chance than anyone else in Michigan, Wisconsin, Ohio, and Pennsylvania. Well, last time I checked, he voted for the same NAFTA uh, that Hillary Clinton supported as first lady. Uh, he voted for the Iraq War, which she did. He's every he's been for every bad trade deal. He drafted the crime bill. He basically was for everything that they rejected Hillary Clinton for in those states, which I think, frankly, if you look at the electoral map, it's going to be decided based on those states again. Uh, you infamously now, I, I've seen it a few times, were on the debate stage with Joe Biden and kind of pointed out his arrogance. Um, can you kind of talk about why is it we're seeing this manufacturing of consent for Joe Biden, but I, I, as soon as his record is exposed, most of these polls say the majority don't even know his Senate record. As soon as it's shown to those Midwestern states, isn't he kind of the, the last person we'd want as a Democratic nominee? No question about it. And he's being sustained by the mainstream media, which is controlled by the military-industrial complex. So you know, Biden is an imperialist. He sees no problem in invading countries without reason. Uh, so, but, but this will show up. The, the polling that's going on right now is somewhat irrelevant. Uh, because there, there's one too many people running, and two, uh, you're not getting a dialogue. Uh, the because mainstream media is and the military-industrial complex support Joe Biden. They they support Buttigieg because he's no threat to anybody, and so Biden it, quote appears to be no threat to anybody. The hail fellow well met, and he really is. He's a nice guy. But we don't need a nice guy who's wrong on the issues. We need a person who's tough, like Bernie Sanders, who will be able to take on Trump. Uh, 
think of the tragedy that Obama, Hillary, and Wasserman Schultz conspired to cheat the, the process of, of primaries so that, uh, so that Bernie could not get the primary vote, and it went to Hillary. And yet we saw polls that where Bernie was beating Trump, and of course Hillary, because of the, the corruption that existed the year before she ran, she knows she was going to run for president. Why was she going to Wall Street and just loading up her pockets with $600,000 for a half-hour speech? And this was done numerous times. So it, the arrogance of thinking she could do that in view of the public and then run for office and people not realize that she was sold out uh, to the Wall Street leaders. Uh, it, it boggles the mind. But, but here again... Because uh, she was a woman trying to break the glass ceiling, this is the whole campaign they made. Well, what's, what's the difference? If you, if you elect a woman who's really bad uh, from an imperialistic point of view, uh, I don't care if she's a woman or a man. Now, I support Bernie. He, he, he could have won last time. Will he win now? I think he's tough enough to beat uh, Trump. The other thing that's happening with Trump is he has diminishing uh, mental processes right now. If you look at him from a year ago to present, uh, you know, he can't read, he's got no attention span, uh, he's manipulated by the people around him, either plus or minus. Uh, and so I think that by the time the election rolls around 18 months from now, people will see him in debate and say that this guy's off the wall. Uh -huh. uh, and. And, and so he'll implode. What would get him reelected is if we had a stupid policy uh, in the United States where the Democratic Party would cheat so that a, quote, a middle of the roader like Biden uh, would, would get a nomination and Biden could not beat Trump. Trump, Trump even is, in his diminished capacity, would be able to make Biden look foolish. And Biden helps. Biden is gaff prone. So the, the gaffes will come. So I don't get carried away with the the, the polling right now. Uh, the polling satisfies the military, uh, satisfies uh, mainstream media. But once it gets shook out, uh, you, you'll see some people rise. I'll give you an example. Tulsi Gabbard, who is, uh, is, has not been in the forefront, yet if you look at her and her record and her presence, uh, she clearly is a top, top uh, candidate. But because she wants to rein in the military-industrial complex, then the military-industrial complex in cahoots with, uh, with Wall Street deny her visibility so that people don't get a chance to observe her and see this, un this unusual talent. So, but, but that's fine. She's, she's tough enough. She'll hang in there. Uh, and she will get windowed out. And, uh, and so I think that she and Bernie have a lot going on together. If you recalled in the last election, she resigned as one of the officials of the Democratic Party when Wasserman Schultz was cheating and Hillary was cheating to deny, uh, 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 to deny uh, uh, Bernie. A, Bernie, a senior moment. <laughs> And I get him frequently <laughs> deny Bernie the nomination. And this was criminal. This was criminal. 
and and we got we got Trump. So we can thank uh, Obama, we can thank Hillary, we can thank Wasserman Schultz for giving us Trump. Well, you also, when you look at it, um, Tulsi Gabbard has gotten a real media blackout, even more so than Bernie in 2016. And I have to go back to thinking about JFK. You know, he wanted to uh, get out of Vietnam. He wanted to uh, tamp down uh, the Cold War. He wanted to talk to uh, then the Soviet Union. I'm not going to get into all the different theories, but... And then he got assassinated. Exactly. Assassinated. That's so, right. So, I mean, Tulsi Gabbard, she's not president, but it seems to me they're almost as threatened by her than Bernie Sanders, because what's worse, health care for all or any shrinkage of the war machine? Your thoughts? Well, you've got to have the shrinking of the war machine in order to pay for health care. Uh, and so it, 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 they dove together. And Bernie readily admits that in the last round, he was not all that strong and knowledgeable about uh, foreign policy. And so he admits that he's been trying to get up to speed on that. But he could just lock into that with, with Tulsi. Because Tulsi's got six years' experience on foreign relations, six years' experience on uh, armed services, and has been two deployments uh, to Iraq, and is a major in the military reserve, army reserve. So uh, she's amply qualified to shore up uh, Bernie's weak side. And Bernie, of course, is right on target with respect to uh, domestic issues. Uh, and also, he would be opposed to war. So that that's both a domestic and a foreign policy issue. And if you were on the debate stage with, I know there's, at this point, 75,000 candidates, but if you were on the debate stage uh, with Bernie and, and Tulsi and, and Senator Warren, um, should, should at some point, if Warren is still in the single digits, Tulsi Gabbard obviously isn't polling that high, in, in large part due to the media blackout, should they move aside? Uh, because obviously there is a splintering of the vote then uh, away from Bernie. For, for, for my uh, position and views, they should not step aside. They should hang in there to the very end. Okay. Uh, period. And uh, because uh, there, we got a lot of empty shirts running for, for this position. Mm -hmm. like empty blouses or empty shirts. Uh, and so they should just hang in there. Because as I point out, uh, the, the polling right now is irrelevant. This is, this is the mainstream media trying to get viewers and make it a contest. Um, it, it's, it's really much too early. Uh, and what you'll see is once you go through a couple primaries, it's going to winnow down a great deal. And even if you had a couple primaries where either Warren or uh, Tulsi does not make a big splash, hang in there. Just hang in there. Uh, to the very end, uh, because as they get into the very end, their message will be more uh, more visible, uh, because the media will have to cover it at some point. So right now, it's a conspiracy of the military-industrial complex and Wall Street that tries to just puff up the empty shirts. And, and so just listen to the rhetoric of uh, Beto or listen to the rhetoric of Buttigieg. You know, the, what are they saying? Oh, we're going we're gonna to compromise. We're going to bring people together. We're going to compromise. The, the Republicans are crazy right now. It's, it's a Trumpian party. And so there's nothing to compromise with them. They just don't want 
to move forward. And so th this idea of, of compromising before you even get into the fray is, is stupid. And, that, and that's what's being advocated by some of these candidates. Well, we've got to compromise with the Republicans. We've got to work together with the Republicans. Hell, Republicans are just not workable right now. Uh, Mitch Connell has proven that repeatedly with his re ridiculous positions on the know-nothings. In fact, we could say the Trumpian Republican Party is really like the old-fashioned know-nothings. Mm. That's them right now. So that would not get carried away with what's happening. What is a phenomenon is that there's so many people running for office. But who am I to uh, to criticize that uh, when uh, at my age I'm running for office? <laughs> and though I, I'm articulate uh, on the issues and knowledgeable on the issues, uh, but age is a factor. Yeah, but if, if I got elected, I could handle three or four more years. <laughs> so, <laughs> and for sure I would be... Uh, would be having Tulsi Gabbard join me or Bernie join me in that regard. But, but I, I'm not uptight about whether I'm going to be president or not. I'm uptight over the fact that today we have such a dysfunctional government that it threatens human survival. Mm -hmm. And we're talking about the Trumpian party, but I feel like, I mean, when you look at uh, Speaker Pelosi, she's, she, she's talking about we need to hold the center, hold this imaginary center. When there is no center, and the center is basically right. The center now is like your Bob, Bob Dole Republican. So you, when you have a Democratic Party that's, that's feckless and basically Republican light, I mean, a lot of these things that the Republican House, when they were in control, were passing were with the help of 16 or 17 Democrats voting with them. Wall Street deregulation, uh, big, you know, uh, bills becoming law for, for fossil fuel companies. So... Uh, do you think Bernie Sanders, yes, he's taking on Trump, but would you like to see him a, a little bit more vocal now uh, against, frankly, the Democratic Party? Because it seems like he straddles the line, but doesn't tend to go any further than that. No, uh, I don't think he should go further uh, in attacking the Democratic Party. There's enough people like myself that are articulating <laughs> that. And so he doesn't need to do that, nor does Tulsi need to do that. What they've got to do is get support within the party. My my hope, and this will surprise you, but my hope is that uh, uh, Alexandria Cortez uh, AOC uh, mm -hmm. becomes the next speaker, and she, she she's she's really that bright, brilliant, in fact. And of course, her concept, along with Markey of Massachusetts, uh, to have a, a a Green New Deal is right on. We need to make a national commitment to this because what we're doing is, oh, people are for it, but then you get you get the fossil fuel industry that's not for it, and then they get the, they're the ones that have most lobbyists, and so it gets all screwed up. We need a national commitment that this is what we want, and that everything has to bend in that direction. But the problem is not just national. Sure, we're the the biggest polluters. Uh, in the 25% of the pollution is ours, and we're only 6% of the global population. But there's a whole bunch of countries coming on through growth that want to enjoy the quality of life that we have. That's going to compound the problem on the environment. But here, too, if we could get our heads screwed on right, we could have all kinds of effort towards uh, fighting the uh, the environmental problem 
and still provide jobs and growth if we do it in an intelligent fashion. But we have to do it worldwide in an intelligent fashion, and that's a questionable problem. And uh, I want to bring up Alaska because when you uh, you were senator from Alaska, Alaska is the only state that I know of that actually has kind of a universal basic income program. So I think they give out a thousand dollars a year, uh, and that comes from uh, money from a pipeline, I believe. So well, it's, it's a permanent fund. It was I, I'm very knowledgeable about this, okay. obviously. Uh, it comes from a permanent fund that was created where some of the wealth thrown off by the pipeline by the oil. Uh, in point of fact, so what they did is a lot of that oil went to existing uh, infrastructure in the state, uh, and, and then the rest, a lot of it went to this uh, rainy day fund or whatever you want to call it. And so the interest from that, not, not the corpus, but the interest from that fund then is what's distributed to the people uh, as a, what we call the permanent fund. And so that gives them each $1,000. Now, Yang's approach, uh, candidate Yang, I believe, approaches that, like the Alaska, he wants to pass out $1,000 to all the people. I disagree with that. Uh, I think that, that Alaska is a unique situation. It's resting on resources, and those resources will eventually be gone, but we'll have the rainy day fund. That's not what the situation we have nationally in the United States. What and what we have nationally? Let <laughs> me. I just shut that off. Scared, <laughs> scared the hell out of me too. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's too loud. That's I would. Uh, okay, what was the point I was making? Uh, uh, oh, that Alaska, uh, Alaska, yeah. The national economics uh, capitalism is really a very cruel. Uh, in, in point of fact, inefficient process because uh, it's not competitive. The first thing you do is when you get power, you want to uh, buy either buy out your competitor or push them out of existence. And so that's capitalism. And so what we need to do is is to develop an economic system uh, using elements of capitalism and then translating that very straightforward uh, to benefit all the people. And here's how you would do this, it's not all that complicated, is that we recognize uh, that wealthy people get rich on other people's money. They borrow the money, they invest it, and, uh, and buy uh, production tools. The tools of production then um, throw off enough money to pay off the loan and enrich the people who, who were part of this process. We could do that to all Americans. We could turn around and say, that if you're uh, a publicly traded company, you cannot expand uh, with loans. You have to expand with equity. That means they're going to issue more stock, which dilutes the existing stock to a degree. But then we provide loans to Americans to be able to borrow money to buy the stock, which essentially is buying the productive tools of production. Uh, and so now the, the, the profits from these productive tools are used to pay off the loan, and after the loan's paid off, the people are enriched. And that's how we could get a lot of money into, into the hands of the people by the tools of production, not just writing a check and doing. And it's like this old uh, uh, saw, and that is if 
if you want to feed people, you've got to turn around and not just give them fish, but teach them how to fish. Right. That's what we're talking about within the dynamics of capitalism and and uh, and a an economy that cares about people. Right now, we provide all of these loans uh, to the wealthy so they can increase their wealth. What we need to do is to provide these loans. And, and, and I'm talking about loans on the order of the bailout of the banks. Mm-hmm. If we had bailed out the people, uh, not just giving them money, but providing them to have the tools of production. The statement is very straightforward. The, the, profit, the tools uh, of, of production, uh, profit, the profits must pay for the cost of the productive tool. And if, you, and if the profits won't pay for the productive tool, it doesn't work. And we have that. People go bankrupt because they weren't, they weren't productive enough with the tools that they acquired. But we could set up a structure for this to do. And I'd have another thing that I would pass for uh, publicly traded companies. That is that, that, the, uh, that the senior management of the company in question could not have a salaried income greater than 50 or 80 percent times the lowest paid person in that corporation. Right. The Japanese have something like that. There's no reason why we shouldn't do it because right now with the income that people have at the top of the ladder, it's obscene. It's obscene. Uh, I'll give you now. Rubin, who was secretary of uh, the treasury under Clinton, and he was the one that engineered uh, the, uh, the ending the uh, Glass-Steagall uh, legislation was passed in the 30s. Uh, he ended that. Then he resigned, went to City uh, and City Corporation, and uh, turned around and made $30 million in the first year where he was on the board. So that's called payoff. Right. <laughs> For what you're able to do with the government. And most of these CEOs that are making, at this point, 250 times their worker are then taking some of that and paying off the politicians. So there's no regulation. So Oh, and they pay off the politicians. i got to tell you, they give a few million to the politicians, but they didn't rip off billions mm-hmm. by what the politicians do for them. Right. One, it's a dysfunctional situation that is not even close to meeting the definition of democracy. Right. And so that's what needs to be changed. And like I say, I've studied this thing for 30 years, and it can only conclude that the answer lies with the people. In other words, the answer lies with majoritarian governance rather than my, my, uh, uh, senior moment, <laughs> rather than a minority, which is what governs us today. So if, if, you, if you're angry with what's going on, it's because we're governed by a minority. And, and I have a plan to be governed by the majority. And what would you do, by the way? Part of why I asked about universal basic income is I think Yang has a point as far as, I mean, the corporation's ultimate goal is to replace human workers and just have us all be uh, pr- production robots. be made by web, uh, robots and artificial intelligence. What do you do? Because a lot of people are worried that they're going to be out of work in the next few years replaced by robots. You're, there's no question about that. Let's look at <clears throat> the day before yesterday. Uh, Jimmy Hoffa Jr. was on uh, being interviewed and he was pumping up Trump uh, proposals. And he never said a word, never said a word over the fact that it's really accepted that trucks and autos will be driven around automatically 
essentially by robot technology. Uh, and so, but what happens to all these truckers? They're going to lose their jobs, period. And that's what they're qualified to do is to drive a truck. So what the answer is very simple is you provide a process where you take these truck drivers that are going to be pushed, put out of work by a truck that can work and drive itself. Then you permit the worker to borrow the money to buy the truck and then have it go out and do its deliveries automatically. And then you sit there and you you set the math up so that the money that comes in, the profits from the operation of the truck, go to retire the loan and at the same time throw off some money to the, the former truck driver. And then once the truck's all paid off, the truck driver who owns the truck now gets all the money going into him. This is a plan that will work, and it's and it's it really would work very well with the Teamsters. But no, the, the Teamster leadership is so steeped in 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 the past. You know, all this Teamster guy was talking about manufacturing. Manufacturing is primarily going to be done by robots. So telling me that we're going to go backwards in history and we're going to manufacture a good old way where you have to work eight hours a day on a repetitious tax. The sooner we do away with those jobs and give people creative uh, abilities, here, we should be paying people to go to school. What is a person who's well off is in his senior uh, period? What they, they want to go to gen train. They want to go to various educational experiences. They, they, they just want to enjoy life. Well, we can, we can fund that. Uh, with uh, capital ownership, but now the way what we do is all of that funding goes to the top one, two, ten percent, and they own it all. The rest of us are just going to be robots, presently or prospectively, uh, the the victims of robots. And I want to, uh, as we as we wind up, I want to ask you about Julian Assange. You infam- infamously uh, entered the Pentagon Papers into the congressional record. Uh, Assange is now, uh, he's facing, I think, some crazy uh, length of time for skipping bail. And obviously... One, one year is what he's getting for yeah. that. And U.S. <laughs> is trying to extradite him. So... The Democratic Party's been silent. Frankly, Bernie Sanders, uh, as far as I can say, see, has not said anything. This seems to me to be uh, really the military-industrial complex fighting back. They want to put the fear of God in, into the next Assange. Uh, what are your thoughts on uh, what should we do? Because it's not only journalists at, at risk, but it's the people's right to know in jeopardy. Well, a friend of mine, uh, Joe Lauria, who heads up uh, Consortium News, They've been doing vigils on the Assange situation, and and I've called for it. I think it's it's ridiculous. Uh, here, Trump gave a uh, medal of freedom to uh, Tiger Woods. Well, Tiger Woods a good golfer, but uh, if you want to give out medals of freedom, you ought to give it to Julian Assange. You ought to give it to Chelsea Manning. You ought to give it to uh, uh, Edward Snowden. Those are the people. Those are the people of courage who have put their life on the line in order to try and save our democracy. And and so, as you point out, it's the military-industrial complex that wants to make an example of this people so that you won't have whistleblowers. This is the fault, again, of Obama, who prosecuted more whistleblowers than any other president in history. And when you stop and think about it, whistleblowers are the only thing 
that maintains any kind of a vestige of a democracy. A democracy is founded on the fact that the people know what their leaders are doing. And so when you have overwhelming security, there's no way the people know what their government's doing. So the people vote in a very stupid fashion because they're uninformed. What we've got to do is alter that equation so the people become informed. And the heroes in that effort are Snowden, uh, Assange, and Chelsea Manning, in my mind. Right. And uh, my last question, where, where are you at? We know that you, I think you sent out something that you were at 30,000 donors uh, the other day. Over 30, over, I think we're over 35,000 donors at this point. Uh, I, I just get reports when uh, David Oaks or Henry uh, Williams call me and I ask them what's going on. They tell me, and that's it. I'm not, uh, you know, the, the, the now, equation. You got, uh, high, you got high schoolers running your campaign. That's correct. That's a, well, one's 17, one's 18. Wow. They're running the campaign. And, uh, and they've given me veto power, but I've given them in return my, my Twitter account. <laughs> so the, so they, can, they can run the show. Um, if, if they get me on, I'll go to the debates. If they get me beyond the debates and I can show anything in the polls, I'll just I'll stay out with the task right up into the convention. And, do, so, and uh, do you think that, you know, if things go the way they go, do you think somebody like Bernie Sanders has a legitimate chance to win the nomination or will they steal it again? No, they're not going to steal it this time. Uh, there's too many people that are wise in that. And Perez, you know, Tom Perez is, is a Hillary holdover. So we just got to be very mindful of watching him in this regard. But uh, no, they're not going to steal it this time. Once... You, you know, you, you you do it once to me is not my fault. You do it twice to me, it is my fault. And and Bernie is tough enough to recognize what's happened. Many of us, like myself, will 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 articulate what's going on when it, when we see the illegalities. And I think we can we can spot them. Uh, and plus, uh, the only thing is going to be uh, uh, Joe Biden. Uh, and Buttigieg and, and others. The reason why they get attention is because they're not threatening anybody and they're supportive. They're, they're essentially uh, puppets in waiting of the, for the, by the military, run by the military-industrial complex. That's who these people are. And there's a lot of them. When, when you see a candidate that doesn't mention the problem of what's going on in the Defense Department, taking all this money, away from infrastructure, away from education, away from healthcare, and they say nothing about it. They don't even understand what's going on, much less being qualified to be president of the United States. And, and we've been through that drill right now where we get a person who's totally unqualified to be president, does become president, and we've got some people on the Democratic side that meet that criteria. So, no, I doubt that with enough of us uh, shouting uh, or pointing to the dishonesties involved that, uh, that they won't be able to thwart Bernie Sanders. And I think Bernie Sanders is the person who'll get the nomination. And, uh, and my hope is that he would turn around and select Tulsi Gabbard as his vice president. And boy, what a team that would make. Well, I hope they, uh, they are joined by you on that debate stage. I think uh, you are a wise man, and uh, it's been great to speak with you over the, over the last hour. So thank you. Thank you. 
Thank you very much. Take care.